You are listening to the Coggin Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. In the midst of loneliness and dissatisfaction, Coggin wants to help you learn God's truth in a supportive community that pursues a full life in Jesus. If you want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org. Good morning. Everybody doing all right? Good, good. Who likes baseball in here? Anybody like baseball? Yeah. Who likes the Texas Rangers? I mean, come on, come on. Is there, is there, obviously, there's Astros fans in here as well, right? Yes, and you are very proud of them, and hopefully y'all lose today, but but that's okay. We will pray for y'all. We love you so, so much. I'm just kidding. But I love, I love baseball. I think, I think baseball is, is a lot of fun. Sometimes I'm a little, I'm a little bit more of a, a bandwagon kind of person. Like I love the Texas Rangers, but it's hard to follow them, you know, when they're, when they're losing, but it's easy to follow them when they're, when they're doing really well. Um, but I've always, I've always enjoyed it. Uh, it's a fun game played till I was in the eighth grade, but uh, I always played baseball when I was younger. I was always throwing, throwing a ball, hitting a ball, something. And when in Pittsburgh, we had a house that had a living room that was really just set up perfect for a baseball game. Um, and the, the couches were set up in an L shape, so it was a perfect diamond, you know, that first, second, third were just the corner of the couches, and so you're able to run around, you know, the couches, and then you had home plate, and we had carpet, and so if you wore some slick pants, like, you could slide really easily on the carpet. Anybody, anybody love doing that as, like, like a young kid, like, um, and I remember one day, me and my buddy, we were playing baseball in the living room, not with a real baseball or bat or anything like that, but squish balls and things like that. So we're playing baseball and I'm up to bat. My sister Jessica is, uh, she's the ump. Um, yes, just like, a, just like a good older sister does, she was in control of the game. Um, so I get up and I hit the ball and it goes, you know, 20 feet you know, all the way over the couch. And I'm, I start to run, so I'm going around first, I'm coming around second, and I'm coming around third, and my friend is the, has the ball, and he's meeting me at home plate. And so I'm about, to, I'm about to score, and so I'm running as fast as I can, and I slide into home. And in my mind, I know I'm safe. I just know it. But yet my sister is thinking otherwise, and so she calls me out. And I, and I think to myself, wow you have the greatest eyesight of all time. Like, honestly, I thought you should be an MLB ump. Like, Jessica, I just wanna give you a hug. I just wanna give you some praise here. Do you think I did that? Absolutely not. I knew I was safe. She was wrong in this whole situation. And so my mind was saying that, and then my body reacted. So I decided to uh, use my hand and my arm uh, and slap her right across the cheek, which could have gone really, really bad uh, because Jessica was older than me and bigger than me, so she could have just reared back and punched me right in the face. Thankfully, she did the other thing, which was just go and tell my mom and dad about what happened and I got in trouble. So 
Thank you, Jessica, if you ever watch this. Uh, but but I, it was one of those things where I remember looking back and I, I as a kid and even today, I love following the rules. Like everything I do, if somebody gives me a rule to follow, I like following those rules. Like if a doctor said, hey, don't stand on your right leg because if you do, it's gonna hurt it even more, something like that, I'm like one that'd be like, okay, deal. Like I will, I will not stand on, I mean, I wanna follow exactly as things need, need to be. But in this instant, what was happening inside of my heart was this, is that it was revealing something about who I was inside. It was revealing uh, that, that there was some sin inside of my life because if my reaction immediately was, you're wrong and psh, like something, something's going on inside of here and inside of here that is messed up. And what we call that is sin. And sin is, when, uh, when, it, when it occurs inside of our lives, is a departing from the way in which God has created us to live. It is a, it's when our heart's love and desire is created, uh, or is loving the created more than the creator. And we call this disordered desires, disordered desires. So, so where my, my love and affection should have been for my sister is now coming out in anger and frustration because there's one thing that was happening was I wanted to be in control. I wanted to control what was happening, which was I was definitely safe and I will still go to the grave saying that. But listen, I wanted to control what was happening in that moment. And a lot of times inside of our lives, that's exactly what happens when sin begins to come out inside of us, right? C.S. Lewis in a book called Mere Christianity, he emphasizes that sin is not just rule breaking, but it's a deeper distortion of one's true self leading to separation from God and moral decay. So there is an aspect inside of our lives where when we sin, it's because we are getting out of control and there are things that we wanna control inside of our lives because it, it, it might mean that you're stacking up money because you wanna control your life and make it uh, about making sure that you are taken care of. It is, uh, so there's lots of ways in which we go about our lives trying to control what, what happens and it leads to, it leads to sin. Now, I'm sure every one of you have probably experienced that inside of your life, right? If you, if you haven't, you're going to probably today. But is uh, anybody, do y'all like to drive through Dallas traffic? No, why not? Because it's traffic. Like no, everybody hates going through, well, not everybody. Some people really love that stuff. I despise it. Uh, but if you're driving through Dallas, and a, and a car comes in front of you and whips in front of you, what's your first reaction? Oh, please, come on in. I want, I want you to be in front of me. Like, I want you to get to your appointment because obviously your appointment is much more important than my appointment, right? No, that's not our reaction. Our reaction is, what are you doing? Like, why are you getting in front of me? Or when somebody gets behind you and they're getting on your tail, they're telling you, you better speed up. What do you do? You go slower because that's what every good Christian does. You slow down when somebody is, is on your tail. No, but you see what's happening is like, this is my highway. 
I-30 going to Pittsburgh is all about me, and so everybody else just needs to get out of the way, right? We all experience those things inside of our lives in instances where we are trying to control what happens and sin begins to come out. We see this also in Adam and Eve. When God put them in the garden, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They took from the fruit of the tree. What did God tell them not to do? Don't take from the fruit of the tree. But when God comes and he says, hey, what happened? The man goes, well, the woman that you gave me, men don't ever do that. But when the, the woman that you gave me, she is the one who gave me the fruit. And the woman's going, well, it was the serpent. I mean, they're all pointing fingers and saying, it's not, a, it's not me. Like, I'm not the one at fault here, no. We're trying to control our lives. Let me give you some, some instances here. Maybe it's a time when something came out of your mouth faster than your head could stop it. You ever had that happen before? <laughs> it stifled a relationship inside of, inside of your life. Maybe for teenagers, you know, it was talking back to mom and dad. Like, ooh. Like, you talk back to mom and dad, and all of a sudden, they take your keys, they take your phone, they take all those things. You're like, okay, talk back to us now. And you look at them, and you're like, they're the worst people in the entire world. You see what I'm saying? We try to control we try to control everything and make ourselves look good instead of others. Or maybe somebody did something to you and right now you're holding on to forgiveness because you don't want to give it because if you give it, it's going to make you look vulnerable and it's going gonna, it's gonna to put you at a level of where you don't want to be. So you want to control the situation and hold, hold on to that. Maybe your struggle is that you think that you have it all together. I'm all good. Why would I need anybody else? Why would I need God in my life to take care of me because I've got everything in control? What Paul is gonna do today in Romans chapter two, verses 12 through 16, he is going to help us see that every person is without excuse. Every person is without excuse. So let's go ahead and turn to Romans two, 12 through 16. We're gonna stand as we read uh, God's word together. If you don't have it, you can look at it on the screen here. I'm gonna be in the ESV version. But it says this, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is God's word. You can be seated. So like I said, Paul wants us to see, I mean, four verses help you understand is this, is that no one is without excuse. No one is without excuse. Now, when he talks about the law, what Paul is speaking of is the Mosaic law. He's speaking of the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was given to the Israelites to help them to be able to live in relationship with God 
Okay, while they traveled around and everything like that, he gave them the 10 commandments, gave them all the laws. There were 613 laws, but what Jesus did, and Jesus said, hey, listen, there's 613 laws, and they said, what is the greatest? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're gonna go with those today to simplify and make it easier to help us to understand that what it looks like for us today to abide by and the commandments that God has given is to love God above all else and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's talking to two different, two different groups here. One, he's talking to the Jews. Now the Jews are one who, they had the law, like the, the law was given to them as the people of God, he was given to them and he says to them, what? He was like, hey, listen, you're under the law, you're gonna be judged by the law. It does nothing to you except for help you understand that you are a sinful person and you're in need of Jesus because no one has kept the law perfectly. So he tells the Jews, you are without excuse and it's probably even worse because you knew what was right and yet you did not do that. To the Gentiles, which is what we need to, we need to really pay attention to, is this, is they were like, all right, Jews, yep, y'all had the law. And guess what, you didn't obey it, so good for you. And the Gentiles were like, listen, Paul, uh, we did not have the law. We've got an excuse. We have something to fall back upon. And Paul is like, nope, you don't. Because listen, if you are a Gentile, what happens is this, is that God created you in a unique way to understand and know his ways, and it is written on your hearts. So what he wants us to hear is in verse 12 is that every human being is without excuse when it comes to not living up to the standard that God has created us to live. And in verse 13, you can kind of hear Paul as he, as he goes through this and he says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And guess what Paul is thinking? And there's no way that you can do it. <laughs> so the doers of the law are the ones who are gonna be justified and guess what? You can't do it. There is no way that you are able to do this perfectly and completely. And so Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. All are without excuse. And then he goes in to talk about the Gentiles. And he says, the Gentiles, with, with y'all, the law is written on your heart. And so what does it mean when the law is written on your heart? How do we, how do we explain that? So Marilyn Laszlo, and thank you, Billy, for pointing this out. But Billy gave me this book like when I was a teenager. He said, hey, read this book because, you know, you're talking about missions and talking about really wanting to go overseas and all of these things. You need to read this book. And so she's got a book that's called Mission Possible. And Marilyn Laszlo was a, a Wycliffe Bible translator. And she was trained and she went to Papua New Guinea back in 1967. And in Papua New Guinea, she went to a tribal group in the middle of nowhere. She didn't know the language, she didn't know anything. She rode up in the canoe and they were like, don't know what you are, don't know who you are, uh, but this is interesting. Let's just, see what, let's just see what happens for you. So the tribe is gathered around, they're looking at them and she begins to, she begins to write down their language. She was pointing at trees going, tree, tree, tree. 
And they would say something to her and she would like, I guess that means tree. And so she would write that down or house, house. She would say it over and over and point at it and they'd give her a word and she would write that down. And so she slowly began to, well, what was happening is they were saying the wrong things to her and just laughing at her and calling her crazy in those moments. But she was really trying to learn the language. And as she began to learn the language, she began to be able to communicate with them. And they realized, oh, this person wants to learn our language, wants to know our language, and wants to write down our language. Like, let's help her, let's help her do that. And so that's what they began to do. And over the years, she was able to really talk to them a lot, but she didn't know some of the words that the Bible, the Bible talked about. And that was her main focus, was to translate the Bible for them into their language. So as she got through the creation story in Genesis chapter one and two, they were like, wow, we weren't created from the wild boar or the crocodile or the snake or anything. We were actually created by this God that you're, that you're talking about. And then they get to Genesis three and they begin to talk about sin. And she's like, okay, what, what is it that, that you would consider sin? And she was trying to tell them it's, a, it's bad, all of this stuff. And all of a sudden they spout out this long word. And she was like, what does that mean? And they were like, garbage, rubbish. She was like, okay. She said, well, what does that word mean to you in your tribe? What does that look like? How does that play out? And they begin to go, well, you're not supposed to kill people. We know that some people do that. And it's, it's wrong. You're not supposed to kill people. You're not supposed to uh, lie to others around you because that's, that's bad. That's garbage. You're not supposed to uh, steal other people's belongings. You're not supposed to take another man's wife. You're not supposed to uh, uh, disrespect your elders or those that are in, in charge of you. What, was she, what, what were they telling her? The Ten Commandments. And she was sitting there going, this is... This is what Paul was talking about, that these people had the Ten Commandments, the law written on their heart. They knew right and wrong. So what, were the, what, what is happening inside of people's lives is what we talked about in chapter one, that they suppress the truth. And so she began to actually, she translated an entire Bible. They have a Bible now. They're uh, Christians uh, uh, all in the tribe that go out and they share the gospel with other tribes. But we see even from her that she was, she was seeing what Paul is speaking about in this passage. She was seeing that played out in real life. She wasn't just reading it. And so what is Paul trying to do inside of this passage? What Paul is trying to do is he is trying to rip the foundation out from under, out from under these Jews and Gentiles who this church that he is speaking to, he's trying to help them see something that's very, very different. He's trying to help them understand that, listen, your upbringing, how you were raised, who you were raised by, doesn't that doesn't mean that you are considered in right standing before God. Or maybe even today, thinking about your lack of growing up in a Christian home as a Gentile or not having a mentor to tell you about Jesus or having maybe a tough upbringing too has made you who you are. Now listen, I'm not downplaying your life and how you've grown up or anything like that. What I'm doing is helping you understand what Paul is trying to help us understand. 
is that everyone is under sin and judgment. All are without excuse. And I thought about it this week and thinking about what does that, that feel like? What is the feeling when you, when you see that happening, when you're losing control in your life? And I thought, when people go to jail, what do they take to jail with them? Nothing. They take, they take their keys, they take their freedom, they take everything away from them, they take even their clothes that they go into jail with. They take all those things and feeling that helplessness inside of that. Or maybe for you it's like being grounded. Has anyone ever, ever been grounded before? Teenagers, come on. Everybody, okay. Everybody, everybody's probably experienced something like that, unless you're a really, really good kid. Um, but you've probably experienced what it looks like and feels like to be grounded. When your phone and your car are taken away, what are you feeling like? You feel like you're just stripped of everything that you held onto, that, that you felt like was, was the control that you were, the security that you were, or maybe for a young person, a young child, like a toy or a blanket that they hold on to, that, that helps them feel secure. Paul is going, I'm ripping everything away to help you see, to help you see where you are. He wants him to see that when all is said and done, there will be God's judgment based upon the law, but not by the law, because it's based upon or based by repentance and belief in Jesus. Repentance and belief in Jesus. See, something that is by our own power will not get us out of judgment. There is no lawyer that says, well, he's got enough money. He's got plenty of money. He's got power, all of those things. It has no merit. He has all the talent in the world. He's really tall. Like, I mean, uh, he is, uh, he is, He's got everything going for him. He is the most awesome person in the entire world. And he goes, none of that matters. Everyone is without excuse. Now, have you ever had somebody tell you a really terrible story? Like really terrible story, like give you all the details that are just, it just make you feel like, oh man, I can't believe this. But then all of a sudden they give you some of that good news and you're like, they actually made it. You know, like what, I mean, whatever it is, like they, they give you something that's really amazing afterwards and you're like, whew, thank goodness. This is what Paul is doing. He is laying and what he's gonna do, continually do throughout Romans is lay this foundation of stripping you of everything that you can see and know that Jesus is the only thing that is left. He is the only one that you can base your life upon, the only one that will bring you joy and peace and blessing inside of this life, the only one that will give you salvation. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this? It's very simple today. Simple but profound, but simple. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. John 1 talks about this, that when Jesus came onto the scene, he said, hey, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, one of those not one of the repent and believe, but one is this, is that for those who are outside of a relationship with Christ, what do you do with this? 
who do not know Jesus personally, who do not have a relationship with them, who have not ever said, Lord, I wanna trust you and make you Lord of my life, who walk in his ways, what do you do with this? You repent and believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that salvation from your rebellion against God can only be found in him, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. You repent and you believe. Now for the believer, you'll be like, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So where does all of this come into play with, with being stripped of everything? It's like, I know, I've been stripped of everything. I understand and know that, that my repentance has to be in Jesus and him alone. My, my response is the same for you. Repent and believe that Jesus is better than all your efforts that you think will make God happy with you. That you think will make God happy with you. That will give you credit with him and please him. Now that is not saying that your good works are bad because if you are in Christ, you will produce good works. But what are your good works for? To honor and glorify the God of all creation who created you for that purpose, to be in relationship with him and to honor him with your life. What I'm saying is that we have to make sure that our heart is in the place where you love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself, where you are in a place where you can be stripped down and relinquish control of your life. Remember going back to sin, those disordered desires inside of our lives that we're trying to hold on to and, con and control in our lives. And anytime we do that, we begin to get bitter and angry and all of those things when they don't go our way. Well, Jesus is going, you lay all of those things down. And when you lay all of those things down, I will give you joy and peace and blessing. And that is greater than anything else that this world has to offer. Now, and if you're an, a believer in here today, maybe the Lord is calling you to do something. And you probably know right now exactly what that is. Maybe it's not to the remotest part of Papua New Guinea, okay? To translate the Bible for a people group who don't have it in their language. Maybe that might not be it, but maybe it is the grocery store. Maybe it is your neighbor across the street from you. Maybe it's your neighbor next door who you thought at times like, I don't really know that I want to share the gospel with them because listen, uh, they're worse than, than me. No. See, this is, this is the deal. As a believer and follower of Jesus, God is calling you to something. What he wants you to do is relinquish control and to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will, I will do. Repent and believe that God's plans are good and right and that you will find peace, joy, and blessing in saying yes to him. I want you to think with me for a moment. What if our church, Coggan Avenue Baptist Church, what if our church had a heartbeat of repentance and belief every single day? Where we woke up each day and we opened up our word, or our word, God's word, and we said, Lord, speak to us today and help me to know 
who you are and help me to be obedient to what you are calling me to do. Help me to repent because, listen, I, I am prone to wander away from what you want me to do. I am prone to walk in my own ways. I'm, pr I'm prone to try to control my life. And I know you're calling me to relinquish control. And so God, help me to do that today and believe that what he is calling you to do, he's not calling you to do something that's gonna ruin your life. Like I say, I say this all the time, is like no one has ever said in their life, man, I wish I didn't follow Jesus today. No one has ever said that. They've all said, I love it because when I follow him, my heart and his heart are lined up and the blessing and joy I get from that every single day is worth it. But many people have said at the end of their lives, I regret not making that decision. I regret not following Jesus. Listen, if we as a church abided in Christ every single day, imagine what Brown County would be saying about Coggin Avenue Baptist Church and the people. Imagine the unity that we would have inside of our church and the love that we would have for one another and what that would display to a dying world around us. We hope that you have enjoyed this sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about us or know what it means to follow Jesus, visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org.